So I, I got my wife a Mother's Day present. So part of my Father's Day present is uh, I get to come sit on the seat, and I don't have to preach today. So welcome, Miss Amy, today. God bless you. Amen. I really I have, a, I have a word that I've been thinking on for quite some time. And we, like all good uh, Christians, I wouldn't commit until the last minute. We, were, we went on Friday up to Paris, Texas to visit Brother Tommy in the hospital. Tommy and Janelle Cornstubble, many of you know them. He had a heart attack while we were gone to uh, Israel. And we just felt like we really need to go and pray for him. He was still in ICU and it had been a week. And so what happened is two months ago, he had a heart attack and had some stents put in. And one of the stents was 100% blocked. And that's not normal. So we don't know. I said, I think it sounds like a faulty stent. You know, I'm very professional and I know a lot about it. But anyway, uh, they said also maybe one of the medications he's on affected the stent. So they put another stent inside that stent and opened it up. But because he was in such intense pain for so long, because at the time he went to a little clinic there, not far where they are there in Antlers, there's nothing much. So Posh County Hospital. And then uh, from there, they took him by ambulance to Paris, Texas, which is really, uh, he, he had the other surgery done in Oklahoma City. So this was much more convenient for Janella to be close by to her home. And, but anyway, he went in a regular room yesterday and is doing much better. But on the way there, I was talking to Pastor Samuel, and I said, well, I've kind of been thinking about this for a little while, so if you want me to, I think I can get it together for Sunday. And he's like, yeah. (laughs) And so um, I really wanted to do it, but I was just afraid. You know, you're just afraid sometimes. I'm like, how is it going to come together? But I've really been thinking a lot about David's mighty men. And uh, I want to read it from the Bible to you because many, you all, you are mighty men, you fathers out here today. Those of you who aren't fathers today but will be someday, you are mighty men. And it doesn't take a perfect man to be a mighty man. And we're going to learn that this morning. So I'm going to start in Second Samuel chapter 23. And I'm going to start with verse number 8. David's mightiest men is what my Bible says at the top. These are the names of David's mightiest men. The first was, now I don't claim to know how to pronounce these names, so just bear with me. The first was Jashobim the Hakramite, who was the commander of the three, the three greatest warriors among David's men. He once used his spear to kill 800 enemy warriors in a single battle. One versus 800. Have you ever watched, some of you older people, uh, watch Walker, Texas Ranger, Ranger, Walker, Texas Ranger, And you wonder how in the world can Walker and Trevet, just the two of them, take down the whole Mexican cartel, drug cartel, or whatever they're fighting that day, you know? Two against everybody. But guys, stuff like this really happened in the Bible because God's spirit would move upon these men and they would do these great feats. And so that's why this was the leader of the three, the three mightiest men, because he alone used his spear to kill 800 in a single battle. Verse 9. Next in rank among the three was Eleazar, son of Dodai, a descendant of Ahoi. Once Eleazar and David stood together against the Philistines when the entire Israelite army had fled. He killed Philistines until his hand was too tired to lift his sword. And the Lord gave him a great victory that day. The rest of the army did not return until it was time to collect the plunder. Just he and David alone. 
Verse 11, next in rank was Shammah, son of Agi from Harar. One time in the Philistines gathered at Lehi and attacked the Israelites in a field of lentils. The Israelite army fled, but Shammah held his ground in the middle of the field and beat back the Philistines, so the Lord brought about a great victory. So everyone else fled, but he stayed in that field and fought them all. Verse 13, once during harvest time, when David was at the cave of Adullam, we saw where that cave was, the Philistine army was camping in the valley of Rephaim. The three who were among the 30, an elite group among David's fighting men, went down to meet him there. And David was staying in the stronghold at the time, and a Philistine detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem. Well, Bethlehem is today a Palestinian territory, even. David remarked longingly to his men, Oh, how I would love some of that good water from the well in Bethlehem, the one by the gate. So the three broke through the Philistine lines, drew some water from the well, and brought it back to David. But when they brought it, David refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. He said, The Lord forbid that I should drink this. This water is as precious as the blood of these men who risked their lives to bring it to me. So David did not drink it. This is just an example of the exploits of the three. That's just an example. That's just a portion. We know they fought battle after battle after battle. And I wonder kind of what they thought when they brought David that water and then he poured it out. I don't know what they thought. They might have been kind of discouraged, but when he realized he gave it as an offering, it's too precious for me to drink. This just means a lot to me. Verse 18, Abishai, the son of Zariah, the brother of Joab, was the leader of the thirty. He once used his spear to kill 300 enemy warriors in a single battle. It was as by such feats as this, he became famous as the three. Abishai was the most famous of the 30, and he was their commander, though he was not one of the three. It's kind of funny to me how they divided up into groups. Verse 20, there was Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, a valiant warrior from Kabzeel. He did many heroic deeds, which included killing two of Moab's mightiest warriors. Another time, listen to this one. He chased a lion down into a pit. Then, despite the snow and the slippery ground, he caught the lion and killed it. Another time, armed with only a club, he killed a great Egyptian warrior who was armed with a spear. Benaiah wrenched wrenched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with it. These are some of the deeds that Benaiah, almost as famous as the three. He was more honored than the other members of the 30, though he was not one of the three. And David made him commander of his bodyguard. And then it goes on and it lists multiple names. And if we read in um, 1 Chronicles chapter 12, it lists even more names. Because David had many, many men who fought alongside him during this battle. Now, who were these men? Were these men the, uh, the best? Like, did they come from the best lineage of people? Were they the most trained people? the most talented, the most popular, the most wealthy, the most looking? Who were these men? Well, we can find the answer if we look at 1 Samuel. I'm going to skip over to 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1 and 2. So David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Soon his brothers and other relatives joined him there. So some of the men were David's brothers. We know David was the youngest of eight. And all of his brothers had fought in the war against the Philistines. 
Matter of fact, it was um, when Goliath was up there saying, who will fight me? Send a man. And if I win, you will be our slaves. And if he wins, I'll be your slaves. And But none of his brothers went to fight, but David went to fight as just a teenager. We know the story of David and Goliath. But his brothers came alongside David during this time. And then others began coming. Who were the others? Men who were in trouble. Men who were in debt. Men who were just discontented. Until David was the leader of about 400 men. So at this time, just this, this beginning group of men, they were the outcasts of society. Many of them were on the run. Many of other translations say, you know, they were, maybe had been in prison. They had all these things against them, but yet they decided to be on David's side. And so that's the choice we have to make. What, what dictates a mighty man? Who are you following? They chose to follow David, and David followed God. The Bible says God, David was a man after God's own heart. So I tell you today that if you choose to follow Jesus, if you make your leader the right leader, then you can be a mighty man. So um, also, let's make it a little more modern day. What about Spider-Man? Because a lot of us haven't seen Walker, Texas Ranger. But now the new Spider-Man's coming out. I don't know if it's out yet. Soon, this month maybe. And he's going on July. July, he's going to Europe. Spider-Man is going to Europe on a class field trip. And he decides to leave his Spidey suit at home because, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to be normal. He's going to be a normal person on this trip. Well, we know that's not going to happen. But you've got this little boy, not really a little boy, but he's like a young man, maybe 20. I don't know how he is in this movie, maybe in college. But that one little Spider-Man fights all of these evil people. And so... It, it, it can happen. It did happen in the Bible times. Uh, according to Google, a modern hero is someone who helps people and above all has made a huge contribution for the community. A modern day hero is a good person where integrity, honor, honesty, intelligence, wisdom, action, morality, and love work in harmony. I kind of like that definition. But it says a good person. Well, we know according to the Bible, there's none good. We're not good in ourselves. There's nothing we can do to be good enough. We've made mistakes after mistakes after mistakes. But Jesus, he makes all the difference in the world. I'm going to skip to 1 Chronicles 12. I'm just going to pick a few verses out here because it's really interesting to me how that God orchestrated each of these mighty men with different skills. They were not all the same. We look around and oftentimes we compare ourselves one to another. Well, I wish I could be as good as so-and-so or I wish I could look like that or I wish I could have that job. But guys, these were all considered mighty men, but they were all different. Uh, Verse 2 of chapter 12 says, All of them were expert archers. Now, this is a certain group. Let me start with one. The following men joined David at Ziklag while he was hiding from Saul. They were among warriors who fought beside David in battle. All of them were expert archers, and they could shoot arrows or sling stones with their left hand as good as their right. I find that kind of interesting. They were ambidextrous. Verse 8, 
Some brave and experienced warriors from the tribe of Gad defected with David. They were expert with shield and spear, as fierce as lions and as swift as deer on the mountains. Now, y'all, we walked up some of these mountains, and I'm not very swift, let me just say. It's a rocky terrain, and it's not easy. And I watched, we saw a couple of little deer up there, or what were they? A certain type of deer. Joe knew, of course. So, but they're just like hopping over there like it's no big deal. And I'm like, how? And the goat, like, how do they do that? You have a goat standing on this little rock with just like a ledge. And he doesn't even care. Well, th- these men with David were swift as a deer on the mountains. And then some warriors came and the weakest, listen to this, the weakest among them could take on a hundred regular troops and the strongest could take on a thousand. That's pretty amazing. And then uh, some came from Manasseh, a thousand troops from the group of tribe of Manasseh. They helped David chase down bands of raiders for they were brave and able warriors who became commanders in his army. Day after day, more men joined David. From the tribe of Judah, 6,800 warriors came who could fight with spears and shields. From the tribe of Simeon, 7,100. From the tribe of Levi, 4,600 troops. This included Jehoiada, one of the 30. From the family of Aaron, 3,700. A young warrior, Zodak, with 22 members of his family who were all officers. So they had different titles. They weren't just like nobodies. Some of them actually were something where they were before, and then they came, some of them. The tribe of Benjamin, Saul's relatives, there were 3,000 warriors. Most of them from Benjamin remained loyal to Saul, but 3,000 came with David. Tribe of Ephraim, 20,800 warriors, each famous in his own clan. From the half-tribe of Manasseh, west of the Jordan, 18,000 men were set to express purpose for helping David become king. From the tribe of Issachar, 200 leaders with tribes and their relatives. Listen to this. All these men understood the temper of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. So you have to have people among you who have wisdom, too. Maybe they weren't carrying swords and shields, but they understood the temper of the times. I kind of thought that was interesting. From Zebulun, 50,000 skilled warriors, fully armed and prepared for battle, completely loyal to David. From Naphtali, Naphtali, 1,000 officers, 37,000 warriors with shields and spears. From Dan, 28,600, all prepared for battle. From Asher, 40,000 trained warriors, all prepared for battle. From the east side of the Jordan River, from Reuben and Gad, and half-tribe of Manasseh, the other half, 120,000 troops with every kind of weapon. So not just swords and shields, but other weapons as well. So he kept gathering more and more and more army. Now, they weren't counted with the three. They weren't counted with the 30, but they were set their minds against, I mean, to follow David. Matter of fact, one said in verse 18... Amasai, who later became a leader among the 30, said, We are yours, David. We are on your side, son of Jesse. Peace and prosperity be with you and success to all who help you. For your God is the one who helps you. So they recognized David was following after God. And they're like, if he's following God, I'm for him. Because not only is he going to be prosperous, but all who follow him are going to be prosperous too. 
So he recognized that. Well, it wasn't all just roses with these men, right? They were fighting battles. This was a war. So I'm going to skip back. All of uh, Samuel and Chronicles tell the same stories, but from a little different perspective. So I'm skipping back to 1 Samuel chapter 30. And we know this story. They have been out fighting, and their families are all at Ziklag. And they come back from the battle, and when they get back to Ziklag, everything is burned to the ground. Their wives, their children, their livestock have all been taken captive. In verse 3, I find it so interesting. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, listen to this, they wept until they could weep no more. So to be a mighty man doesn't mean you show no emotion. You know, a lot of times I think we get it backwards, especially in America with macho, macho men, right? I can't shed a tear. I can't be upset. I can't show that I have any feelings or emotions. These were the mightiest men. I mean, standing one against 800, that's pretty mighty. The weakest, the weakest of them could fight 100, right? But when they came and they found out their families were taken, their things were gone, their wives, their children, they were in utter despair. And it says they wept until they could weep no more. We know the Bible says Jesus wept. Multiple times he wept over his friend Lazarus. He looked out over the city of Jerusalem and he wept. And, he, and, and at the end, when he was in the garden praying, Lord, if there be any other way, Father, if there be any other way, take this cup from me. He wept. It's not a sign of weakness to weep. But what happened next is kind of scary because these men were 100% for David, but now they got bitter and they wanted to stone him to death. But the Bible says that David, and I love it out of King James. I've been reading out of New Living, but I love it out of King James the best. David encouraged himself in the Lord. Everyone was against him. His wives were gone too. He had nothing left either. He was distraught. They were in despair and they were fixing a stone. Their leader, the one that they had been following and they were set to follow. And he encouraged himself in the Lord. So, man, that's where you're going to get your encouragement. You want to be a mighty man, you have to encourage yourself in the Lord. And he asked the Lord, he said, shall we go? And the Lord said, yes, go. And so he became the leader that we know he is. He rallied his men. David rallied the men together and he said, let's go. We're going to go get it back. And they did. Uh, verse 17 says, David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout that night and the entire next day until evening. None of them, except for a few, escaped on camels. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. And David brought everything back. His troops, the men who were going to stone him just a day and a half ago, his troops rounded up all the flocks and herds and drove them ahead and said, These belong to David as his reward. So he was quick to rally his troops, encouraged himself in the Lord, and they fought and they won. But they had to ask God to go before them. That's the key today is who are you going to let be your leader? Who are you going to follow? So your declaration has to be, I'm going to read that one more time. 
what um, Amasai said to David. We are yours. But let's just replace the word David with Jesus. We are yours, Jesus. We are on your side. Peace and prosperity be with you and success to all who help you. For your God is the one who helps you. Follow people who follow Christ. Make Jesus the head of your life and you will be accounted among the mighty men. Because that's all it takes is following the right leadership. And we know Jesus makes all of the difference. I'm going to read a little poem and then I'm going to ask Pastor Samuel to come up. Because we have a little gift for you men today. So this poem is titled Heroes. Some can fly up in the sky or possess the strength of multitudes. Some weave webs to trap enemies or lend a helping hand to do good. Most are only found in the movies or objects of man's imagination. Most are rescuers from fairy tales or the results of a comic book creation. Don't be discouraged or in despair. There are heroes in real life. Don't give up, but take a look around. Heroes are often ordinary people in disguise. Dressed in blue to protect and serve, or decked in camo traveling overseas. Dressed in white jackets with lives to save, or putting out fires, members of rescue teams. Heroes come in all shapes and sizes, different jobs, different methods, different means. Heroes do have one thing in common. Your hero will protect you and fulfill your needs. There are heroes in everyone's life, heroes to give us a future of hope, examples for the youth to follow, heroes of the next generation are taking notes. Then there is Jesus, the hero of heroes. My Savior and Deliverer from sin, He will meet your every need. He will be your hero too. Just let Him in. So I, I submit to you today that our fathers that we have here today with us are our heroes.